Well, good morning, everyone, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus and in the power of our Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as you have heard, today is the Feast of the Holy Trinity, a day when the day, a church tries to figure out the mystery of God's threefold nature. Wow. How much time do we have? We often talk about the Trinity in different ways. Sometimes we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or maybe you remember when it was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Or Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Or how about Almighty God, Incarnate Word, and Holy Comforter. We use a lot of different words to try to describe who God is. But what we do know is, is that we join with uh, Israel and some of the other major religions confessing that there is only one true God. It has been the central belief of God's people long before Jesus was born. But as Christians, we also speak of God being as three. It's one of the central beliefs for Christians. So today, we're going to try to figure out how can we take those two things, God is one, and God is known as three, and understand it. Well, God is one. We can probably figure that out. Yet we got these three what? Three persons, three spirits, three beings, three things. In the word in the creeds in Greek is actually personas. And if you think of a, uh, the, the Greek theater, an actor, a Greek actor would wear a different mask and play different characters. It was always the same person behind the mask. But they would express themselves in three different ways. You might remember throughout the years as a pastor, I've tried to explain the Trinity in many ways. I, one day I remember I had water, which could be a form of a liquid, a solid, ice, or gas, a vapor. But it's all water no matter what form it takes. Or another day, I might have had an apple, and you take an apple, and you got the, uh, you got the core, you got the fruit, and you got the skin, but it's one apple. Same as with an egg. You got, a, you got the shell, you got the egg white, and you got the yolk. Three different things, but it's one egg. And then I guess you could always take a three-leaf clover, and that was a way in which they talked about the Trinity. Or, as Pastor Vicky said, we as people are one person, but we express ourselves differently as, as sons or daughters, as husbands and wives, as, um, as pastors, as aunts and uncles. But all those images, they might be interesting and they might kind of help us have a more concrete understanding maybe in our slightly twisted way of that God is three in one. But I think ultimately they all fail to honor the depth of the doctrine we call Trinity. And if I'm really honest, they're probably all representatives of a heretical belief that the church rejected centuries ago. Thankfully, we're not on trial. I might be guilty. So if you think you figured out a simple way to understand the Trinity, chances are you're not looking at it with enough depth. And maybe you've missed the point altogether. You know, many people thought they had a good grasp on who God was and what God is up to. And then Jesus came along. And as they listened to Jesus and watched Jesus, 
they saw his dying on the cross and rising from the dead, people had to start to revise their notion of who God was. Because everything we believe about God flows from what we've seen of God in Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus Christ, God gets personal, relational, available, virtually unavoidable, too close for comfort sometimes, multifaceted, complex. And most of all, Jesus tends to challenge our simple explanations for God. It's interesting that Jesus didn't talk about the Trinity at all. Neither did Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. It wasn't until the second century that the early church fathers wrote a statement of faith to be used at baptisms. We call that the Apostles' Creed. And then by the fourth century, the Council of Nicaea adapted the Apostles' Creed into what we know as the Nicene Creed and expanded who Jesus was even more. And all that's well and good, but I don't know what those old creeds and councils and conflicts have much to do with your life or mine today. Probably not much, if we're honest. But what we do know is this. The teaching of the Trinity grew out of the Scriptures. Now, the word Trinity does not occur in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity, where the Scriptures talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's at least 23 Bible verses that talk about that concept of understanding who God is. But ultimately, the doctrine of the Trinity, how God is revealed to us, may not be a concept for us to understand as much as it is to be a belief, as a step of faith, as a way in which we understand the mystery of God. To speak of God as being triune is to claim that we have a God who is shrouded in mystery. A God we believe to be one. A God we believe to be three. We might think we can describe God's nature and fully understand it, but 2,000 years of trying, nobody's been able to do it. We're left trusting the mystery. And perhaps that's the point. It's not a matter of understanding as if God can be proven. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. And this God, who we seek to understand, is a God who comes to us in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our restlessness, in the midst of our lack of faith. God comes to us and encounters us. In fact, all of today's scriptures, like most scripture, depicts people being encountered by God. And the people that God encounters in Scripture don't have all the answers. They don't have a strong faith. And often they're really confused. Sound familiar? Well, let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. And he was in the holy temple. The temple was the place that God lived. And God was not understood as that prodigal father who goes and runs after his son that has walked away from him and finally comes crawling back. No, God was a God whose name was too holy to even utter. God was the one who would hold the whole cosmos together. A God whose immediate presence was too great for mere mortals to endure. And so when Isaiah naturally and understandably 
is encountered by this holy God, holy, 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 he realizes his chances of survival in the presence of this holy God is little. No wonder he says, woe is me, I'm about to die. And yet Isaiah did not die. But rather, God came to him and sanctified him, touched his lips, made him holy, set him apart and said, I got work for you to do. I'm going to send you to announce the Lord's promises to the people. When this God encounters you this day, God gives you a holy calling. God sanctifies, that is, makes you holy, sets you apart for work that God has you to do. In your baptism, you were marked with the cross of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That might be for us to remember whose we are, but it's also a sign of what we're to be about, to bear the presence of the holy God in the world. Now, sometimes we bear that presence of God creatively. So we nurture young minds or we create hope through words and deeds. Sometimes we bring the presence of God in its sustaining. That is, we're keeping all the systems that govern our lives working efficiently and effectively. Sometimes the presence of God is found in the healing works that we do, caring for those in the world that this world too often forgets, or reaching out to somebody in need. However it takes shape, that presence of the holy God is the one that says, I have sent you, commissioned you, to bear the creative, sustaining, and healing presence into the world of love. And then Paul in Romans, Paul makes an unfathomable claim. He says, the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Did you hear that? We're not called children of God in an everyday sense. Yeah, you know, isn't everyone a child of God? That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that we are children of God and heirs. Those who stand to inherit everything that God has. Not only that, but we're co-heirs with Christ. And we share the riches of God's goodness and love with Christ. In fact, Paul calls this holy God whose name was too holy to even utter, Abba, that is, Daddy. I don't know about you, but do you remember if you are a father or mother when your child first uttered to you, Mama or Dada? And as my children grew up, and I know when my daughter would say, Daddy, I knew something was up. Because that was her way of saying, I love you and I need your love. We are invited in this relationship to be in that kind of a relationship with God. But this whole idea that sharing the riches of God's uh, of goodness and being co-heirs with Christ, that's a little baffling because I don't remember dying for the sins of the world or living a sin-free life. Or enduring all the temptations and shame and brutality, agony for the sake of God's kingdom. In fact, 
I probably live mostly opposite of that most of the time, and I bet you do too. So how would we consider to be co-heirs with Jesus? Because when God encounters us, when God comes and surrounds us with God's love, God treats us exactly as if we are Christ. Jesus became like us so that we could become like Jesus. Not through our effort or accomplishment, but simply because it pleases God to treat us as God's perfect, beloved, and holy children. No wonder Paul would say, we haven't inherited a spirit of slavery. Knowing the favor that we enjoy through Christ, we can make a bold declaration that we dare to expect great things. To ask for great things and to share great things. Because God is for us. And then in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus, who is, shows up three different times in the Gospel of John, who comes under the, dark, the cover of darkness because he's not so sure about who this Jesus is and has lots of questions. But we hear for the third time, I think, this year, God's declaration of that, well, probably most famous verse in the Gospel of John. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Wow. We need to listen. Listen to God who claims us in love without asking for our opinion ahead of time. Jesus is clear. God loves the world, period. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it, period. That kind of love, it's hard to understand or comprehend, which is why Jesus doesn't make this a matter for us to have to figure it out to receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Trust me, trying to grasp God's salvation makes Nicodemus' effort to puzzle out how an old man can enter a, a womb again probably look easy. But thankfully us, the Spirit blows wherever it wants, calling even, even us, who might seem a little unlikely, calling us to hear God's Word, to be wrapped in love, and to be showered with faith. Today, God is calling you. You have it, who may have experienced one setback after another. God is calling you who have experienced disappointments more than you could even list. You who have made mistakes. You who have failed again and again. God is calling you. You who may feel inadequate, alone, forsaken, worthless, maybe even irrelevant. Today, hear the good news. God has made a choice. God has made a decision for you and for me. God chooses to love you. In fact, according to John, loves the whole world. God wants desperately to be in relationship with all of us. And our God will stop at nothing to accomplish that. 
And this relationship is not because of who you are or what you've done, not because of what you might become or do, not because of what you might have promised to be or what you pledged you'll do. No, God accepts you because that's who God is and it's what God does. God justifies the ungodly so that we might know peace, so that we might know love, so that we might receive grace and mercy, and that we might in turn go out and share and extend that same love and peace and grace and mercy to those around us. Our God desperately wants to be in relationship with you. And in this relationship with God, we can rest in the love of God, the favor of God, the hope of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God. We are being called as children of God to rest in God. To be in this relationship. And once you and I are in this relationship, we remember and look around and we say, hey, there's a bunch of us in this relationship. We're a community of called out people who are called to look outward rather than inward. Because when we look inward, it's all about survival. But when we look out, we bear witness to what God is doing in and through and for us. That we can share the peace of God that passes all understanding and respond to the needs of our neighbor. When we look outward instead of upward, we realize that in Christ our past is settled, our present is covered, and our future is secure. And as Martin Luther says, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. You see, in a sense, God in Christ takes care of all the vertical dimensions of our relationship with God and our eternal destiny so that we can just throw ourselves into the horizontal dimension of our lives, those around us. We can turn our eyes outward and extend the peace of God. That we can be about transforming suffering, ours and those of others, into endurance character and hope because we have experienced God's love a love that will not let us go a love that cannot be broken even in death today you need to know the triune God is on the move our God is coming for you for us and we can't outrun this God so look out. This God is desperate to be in relationship with you and will stop at nothing. Isn't waiting for you to come. God's making the first move. God is on the loose. Because this God blows like the wind and is looking for people as unlikely and even unwilling as you and as me to adopt us as God's own children and to send us out to bear God's presence to the world that God loves so much. Look out. The Trinity, the Holy God, the God who created all things, the one who comes to us in Jesus, 
the Spirit, the power of God, is about God's work. A work that is pure and absolute love. You see, the Trinity is action, and that action is love. And this day, God is calling you. Receive love. Jesus says, peace I give to you. Be love. Live within that peace, Jesus says, and give love. Jesus says, be that peace in the world. Receive love, be love, give love. And as we do, we will find ourselves in a relationship with our God who comes to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of love. Thanks be to God. Amen.